Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. (laughs) All right. Oh, hey. So we're pre-recording this episode as we do from time to time. Mm-hmm. And that's because we're going on vacation this week. Well, vacation for some of us. Yes. And some of us have a weird definition of vacation, which is running 26.2 miles. Yes. I'm going to run the Mesa Phoenix Marathon on Saturday, February 24th. Yes. Yeah, so that means by the time this episode is published, I'll you be will dead. be done. You will, you will have won the marathon, Mike. Uh, yes, I I will be. Actually, I'm hoping to go check out the Phoenix Lights when I'm down there. Oh, man, that'd be cool. Or just see like haunted stuff because I know that Phoenix does have some cool yeah. like urban legends and haunted stuff. So I'm excited to get down there. I actually have not been to Arizona since the last time we played there. Wow, that's a long time. Yeah. Well, you know who has been to Arizona? Here. Our special guest on today's episode. Yeah. And that is Scott Marcus. Scott Welcome Marcus. How you doing, show. buddy? I'm doing great. And I'm here to talk about not Arizona. So, you know. <laughs> I know, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, since yeah. You, since you, you have been there a few times in the recent. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, all over like southern Arizona. Though. Well, actually, southern or northern. So not the area that Mike will be. And, all right. But yeah, you'll be uh, you'll be running around all the baseball players and all of that because it's spring training time out there. So oh, oh yeah, factor so that I'll... into your travel time. Yay, sports ball! Yes, maybe I'll run into a brewer. You might catch a foul ball. While maybe you're running. A, Raleigh yeah. Fingers will be down there <laughs> for all you Milwaukee diehards that might recognize that reference. Anyway, uh, so we're pre-recording this. I'm heading down uh, Phoenix to run a marathon and then to check out haunted stories and have a lot of fun. Now, Wendy, where are you and Scott going? Well, I figured since you aren't going to be around to record and rock out with this week, yes, we'd take a little vacation ourselves. So we're Ooh. heading to San Francisco. Oh, nice! And to Livermore to visit my brother and his family. But uh, we're gonna Livermore makes me think about the original name for our band. Nevermore. <laughs> Nevermore was the original name for our band. So that's yeah, that's right. Okay, are there any haunted stuff? Haunted stuff in Livermore? There are a few things in Livermore. Okay. One of the uh, oddities of Livermore is that a little-known fact is that the one of the longest burning light bulbs <laughs> happens okay. to exist in the fire station there. That's interesting. So like, like, wait, my longest burning light bulbs. Okay, so we have these LED light bulbs yeah. that last like like 10 years. That's I bought these. nothing. <laughs> All right, these Philips Hue things. Oh, this one's been around since before those were even like a twinkle in Okay, so eye. how long has the longest light bulb it's, been around? I think it's over 100 years. It is. What? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's in the like, fire that's an, That's a Thomas Edison light bulb. I know, but how is that even possible? Okay, so... That's well, see, I, I love this because we're already jumping into the the realm of conspiracy theories because we think <laughs> a lot of people see this as evidence that like we we can't have energy that just lasts forever. This is evidence yeah. of it, and then you know now lobbyists or you know other fat cats got involved and they've limited what we can buy. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, that is one of the theories of the longest burning light bulb. But also, they do mention that it isn't running at its full capacity. So it's it's kind of like if you had. A 100 watt bulb, and you're mm-hmm. you have your dimmer set super low. Yeah, so but it's, it's like been a hundred years for yeah. Christ's <laughs> sake. Yeah, you would think the tungsten might have 
dissolved by now. Burned oh, out in a hundred years. So, so that really is amazing. Okay, that, that's not paranormal, but it is kind of curious. That is pretty cool. It has its own webcam, too. So I th- I, it does. I've heard. So people can check in on, and watch a light bulb. So they're wasting so much more electricity <laughs> on watching the light bulb than the light bulb. Yeah, okay. Well, that yeah. is, isn't that humans? Yeah, right indeed. <laughs> no, but there's, there's a bunch of things. But I will save those stories for after... I return okay. and I'm Can't wait to chock full of exciting All things right. that I found. That sounds good. That we found in California. So you guys will get that in a couple of weeks. Yes, but oh. Mike, since this is coming out in the future, I'm going to preemptively congratulate you. Actually, I'm going <laughs> to congratulate you anyway because you have been very diligent with your marathon training. Thank you. And that is the thing that deserves the accolades more so even than finishing Especially in winter. Yeah. Like, you talking about running 20 miles around a lake yeah. when it is negative six yeah. and stuff like that? Like, right. Right. Like, Anybody who thinks they're tough or they've got grit, come to Wisconsin and try training for a marathon in the middle snowshoes of the on. worst part of the year. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We got to fight bears and stuff. Yes. I punched a Bigfoot twice. <laughs> so I commend you for your, your Thank you, dedication there. And, you know, congratulations. Whatever happens, I know you'll do great, but you should already be proud of your achievement here. So. Well, you know, tell the good people of Mesa and Phoenix, I'm coming to win. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm planning I'm planning on emerging victorious. You're going to get that blue ribbon, Mike. I just know it. I'm going to fight for it. <laughs> All right. So anyway, looking forward to that. So wherever you guys are in the world, hope you're having an awesome February. Yeah. One thing I like about the early part of the year, and this is because I am a movie nerd, is the Academy Awards. Yeah, you do mm-hmm. like that, don't you? Yeah. I mean, in college, we even would have parties where our weird roommate, Kurt... Remember Kurt? He didn't talk to women. This guy. So this is this is back in this is back in the late nineties. And Kurt oh. like had a bad breakup and like stopped talking to females completely for like yeah. two or three years. He was on boycott. I yeah. was one of the females that was ignored by him. Yeah, Ouch. I mean, because because Wendy like lived in the house and she was around all the time at band practice and stuff. And Kurt used to work in this TV show we had. And I remember there was a party where Kurt switched off and stopped talking to girls. Okay. But anyway, that's weird. But he would dress up. <laughs> so, so for our Oscar party, though, he would dress up in a the full tuxedo, tux. Like that's a awesome. Full tux. I mean. And then we'd have champagne and then we'd even have a little uh, ballots. Cool, and so the people cool. that would pick. Well, that makes it fun. The people that would pick the closest to, you know, if you, if you get the most, uh, wins you know the most awards right then you would get like 50 bucks or 100 bucks something like that. oh hey in college dollars that's a lot it's in a lot of pieces dollars yeah, yeah exactly it's a, it's a full night out so um no the academy awards w- was a uh a ritual for my family i think we've already talked about this podcast like my parents had gone oh yeah yeah like in the 1980s and it was just something in my family we watched every single year and I remember an ex-girlfriend getting into a car accident in Academy Awards. No. And at first I was worried about her. But then once I learned she was fine, I was like, <laughs> hold on. Who won supporting actor? <laughs> oh, my gosh. She was fine. <laughs> she went into shock. It's not she- going to change the outcome. So, you know, let's, right. let's get to yeah. the news. <laughs> right. She's not part of Price Waterhouse. <laughs> so I'm not worried about it. <laughs> anyway, but yeah. So, but anyway, the Academy Awards was always something I grew up with, and it was something we watched every. Even my wife and I, um, we'd go to Puerto Rico in the early part of the year, and I'd make her watch it. I'd be like, "Oh yeah, let's go to the beach." And, no, we're gonna you watch. Made her, you made her. You tied her down to a chair and made no, sure that her head. No, she was. Turn. We'd have a party okay, for it and stuff right. like that. I, I, that makes it sound weird. 
<laughs> and he used like, coconut husks. I, it was in theme still. <laughs> right. Like, we'll watch this. I grabbed her around her stomach and I wouldn't so let her go. It was a required event. Yeah, it was that's, always it was always part of it. So, Wendy, do you, do you have any relationship with the Academy Awards? Anything that you guys did? No. All right. It wasn't a big deal for my family. I mean, we'd watch it sometimes, but honestly, it'd be more just to see the cool the dresses, dresses and all and stuff. that stuff. Yeah, I, I was never as into entertainment and that type of thing, you know, as you were. So uh, it was kind of no different than any other big Hollywood, you know. Sure. Do. Well, speaking of the dresses, now here's something I just thought of. Um, uh, so remember the year that Bjork wore like a like the a, swan. <laughs> yeah, she swan. wore a swan, <laughs> and she was nominated for her performance in Dancer in the Dark. Yes. And Bjork came out with the, with the hashtag Me Too thing last year, and she said that she, she'd been harassed by a film director. Now, she's only been in two movies. One was Dancer in the Dark, which Lars Van Trier, who's always has a contentious relationship with his actresses, and the other was my old film professor, <laughs> Nietzsche Keen. <laughs> <laughs> and wow. so people were writing this like uh, Jezebel which is a Gawker blog wrote, yeah. wrote this article about how Bjork had said that she'd been sexually harassed and like well, it's either gotta be Lars Van Trier or this Icelandic director <laughs> well so Nietzsche directed this movie called The Juniper Tree and that Bjork was in and then she came to the United States and started teaching at the University of Wisconsin and the funny part the funny part was is that nobody could get her name right Nietzsche <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, a, it's, a like, it, it's like uh, Friedrich Nietzsche or Nietzsche yeah. with a K and an A at the end. Yeah. She's very Icelandic. But the funny thing was, like, everybody's writing on, on Jezebel about this, and nobody can spell her name right. Like, it's either <laughs> this guy or this Nietzsche Keen. And Nietzsche Keen's been dead for uh-huh. 10 years. God rest his soul. And anyway, the, the dresses made me think about that funny thing that it was just in the past couple of months that that story came out. Scott, do you have a relationship with the Academy Awards? Obviously, you're into movies. You love movies. So what was your relationship growing up? Yeah, you know, I mean, it was very casual at first. You know, we got to know each other. Uh, like the first Oscar moment I really remember was watching Jonathan Demme give his acceptance speech for Silence of the Lambs, mm. winning that one. And I don't know why that's like, even to this day, it sticks with me. And then uh, a couple of years later, watching Tommy Lee Jones win for The Fugitive, that was exciting. That's a very Chicago thing. Yes, for sure. But then, you know, it kind of wasn't too big a deal uh, for a bit. And then I got into college and I'm in film school. And now you're like really invested (laughs) and you are rooting like it's your team of different movies. And then, you know, I I continued to work in production, but in a way you got more removed from it. Like you might root if you worked on something, of course, or if you have friends up. But otherwise, I can't tell you how many times I didn't watch the Oscars while I was living in L.A., it uh, okay. it just became wow. yeah I don't know it was not a big deal in, in some ways it for me I you know I later on was giving the Hollywood tours and I looked forward to that weekend because that meant I couldn't possibly give a tour because Hollywood Boulevard was closed down so I had the weekend off finally so nice. that became my relationship with the Oscars well that's funny huh. you, you know when you think about that um, Jonathan Demi speech of Sons of the Lambs the first thing that goes into my head is when they uh, pushed Billy Crystal out. <laughs> yeah. So Billy Crystal's hosting, and he he hosted like a bunch of times, and they push him out, and he's wearing the oh, yeah. mask like in the straight jacket, yeah, Hannibal Lecter, mm-hmm. like <laughs> Hannibal Lecter from Sons of the Lambs, and that that was such a classic too, because that was also the year that Jack Palance did the one arm yes. push ups. Oh my god! I, I think about that moment every time that comes up in P90X. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> I'm <No>. channeling Jack. <laughs> 
I did a um, Mark Lauren has a thing called You Are Your Own Gym, which is a body weight thing, much like P90X. Oh my gosh. And so every time he's like, okay, it's time for one arm push ups, I just think that 70 year old yeah. Jack Palance could do it. <laughs> I better be able to do this too. On and international TV, all the lights, all the pressure, and it tucks. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, before we get into our story this week, and this year we're talking about Oscar curses and superstitions. Um, so, Scott, uh, some people who have maybe not met you on the podcast yet, let's get a little quick background for where you're at and where you're coming from. Yeah, sure. I, uh, I don't know. I've just been really interested in the paranormal since. Uh, I mean, I always had a little bit of an interest in it, but then got really down the rabbit hole. Right as soon as I graduated high school, uh, I ended up writing the book, Voices from the Chicago Grave. I did a little very amateurish documentary around that time, but then a book that was really well done, if I do say so myself, compared to the documentary especially. <laughs> and, yes. um, and then, of course, I, I was introduced to the wonderful world of See You on the Other Side because I did the hey. uh, uh, lacrosse drownings documentary with uh, Jay Bachochin, our resident Bigfoot hunter, and Neil Sanders, who was the deputy medical examiner up in lacrosse. And I've just I've had a, an interesting life that has always kind of bounced me around between the paranormal and film production, and it's been really a lot of fun. And you spent a good amount of time in Los Angeles, I understand. Yeah, I, I lived in Los Angeles for about eight years, and you know, again, working in film, I was a freelance camera operator and film editor, and one of my first jobs. Uh, you know, I, I booked a gig. I got my call sheet, which tells you the call time and the address, where to go. And I pull up, and I'm new to L.A., so I don't even know exactly where I'm going. But it's I pull up, and it's Linda Vista Hospital, which, lo and behold, ends up being one of the most haunted buildings, if not the most haunted building in all of Los Angeles. And I had a, a very light but memorable paranormal experience there. Um, I guess I'll just say it. <laughs> yeah, you bet. I mean, you Please can't just do. tease yeah. it. Well, it, very, it was a light paranormal experience. Well, I don't care if it was an invisible paranormal yeah. experience. Like, what happened? Who is Linda and what's her vista yeah. about? Tell us, tell us. Well, the uh, hospital was built in 1924 by the Santa Fe Railroad Company to, to service its workers and eventually became a community hospital. And it's, of course, like any hospital, it saw a lot of tragedy over the years jump into the 1990s it's in a really bad neighborhood this hospital is primarily a triage center for the different gang wars that were breaking out around it the crips and the bloods and all that fun activity so and and one of these cases of uh, gang members brought in with gunshot wounds he's operated on he passes away the doctor cannot save him the surgeons cannot save him the grieving gang members, family members, gang family, that is, were waiting for the doctor in the parking lot, the guy that was trying to save his life, oh uh, and they killed goodness. him in the parking lot as so retaliation. Sad. It's What, the, the doctor? Yeah, exactly. Just, you know, misplaced grief, anger, violence, and a, a culture of violence uh, at that time period, especially. It has gotten to be a better neighborhood now, but it's still on the upswing from a really low point in the 90s. So I'm working on this independent film, and you can see this building has been used for all sorts of productions in, in more recent years. Since, since that time period in the 90s, it was not sustainable to keep that building in business, that hospital in business. So it mostly sat there 
kind of locked in time and became a great place to have a film set. So that was the hospital in, in Pearl Harbor because it was built in the right time period. It is where Buffy's mom dies in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, break my Spoiler heart. alert. And, um, and uh, Hey Ho, the Lumineers music video is shot there. I mean, everything is oh, shot there. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> so if you like that band, that's something to think about. Oh. It's in a haunted hospital. And, and um, That's actually, the coolest, that's that actually cool. the coolest thing about the Lumineers. I was going <laughs> to quite possibly. Uh, and, and Madison Connection Garbage shot a music video in there as well. Oh. Bleed Like Me, uh, <gasps> where she's in her oh. nurse get-up. That's Linda Vista. Yes. God. No, a Garbage. We just talked about Butch Vig in the last episode. Butch Vig is a drummer of garbage. Produ- One of my favorite bands. Yep. Produced Nevermind uh, by Nirvana. Produces the best of the Foo Fighter records. So, Scott, you not just had a couple of paranormal experiences in Los Angeles. You also were a ghost host. Weren't you driving the bus? Well, I'll, I'll finish uh, my light paranormal experience really quickly. Um, so I'm on set, and I'm kind of escaping set whenever I can. Like, whenever there's downtime, I'm just exploring this building, which at the time I don't know is haunted. It just looks creepy, mm-hmm. and it's my kind of place to explore. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I'm walking around, and it's very isolated. It's just very quiet. It's a big building. And eventually I walk into a room that looks like an operating theater, and... I feel like somebody is just sizing me up, looking me up and down. I feel so uncomfortable there. However, as I'm walking around, I'm realizing that I'm walking through all these pre-built sets. So for all I know, I'm in a huge auditorium and I'm in a little cube in it that was built there. It could be entirely sure. a set. Oh, right. So I'm trying to not let my environment influence my thoughts. And uh, But it's, obviously, I couldn't shake that. And I don't usually get that kind of you know sixth sense impression very much at all. So obviously, I took note of it. Finish shooting for the day, go home, do some research, and find out that the surgeon that was killed in the parking lot is believed to haunt that building, He's uh, that room. He's still completely angry, as you would assume. And people have actually photographed the specter of a, a man wearing a smock, very much like a surgeon in his his outfit. Oh, so, you know, I'm getting the chills telling that story right now. <laughs> right. No, but the thing is, and also you heard like this, hey. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Hey, are you kidding me? <laughs> oh. <laughs> anyway, Lumineers fans. All right. So that's an awesome story, Scott. That's but, cool. That's very cool. But you were the guy that did the Hollywood ghost tour. Yeah. So explain how you got involved in that business real quick, and then we're going to jump into yeah, the Oscars. Sure. You know, I was living out there for a while, again, working in production, not in anything paranormal, and a friend of the show, friend of all of ours, Ursula Bielski, who runs Chicago uh, Hauntings. Ursula. Uh, she identified an obvious glaring hole in that there was no ghost tour in Los Angeles, which is insane. That is insane for such a huge city. I mean, most large cities have not one... But multiple oh, ghost yeah. tours. But the thing is, if it's not walkable, and this is uh, so I've oh, good point. Mm-hmm. LA is very spread out. LA is not the most walkable place yeah. on the planet. So it costs a lot of money to get the bus or to get a yes. you know to get some kind of car to take people around. That's true. Good so point. the business has to be invested to get that to happen. And coming from the ghost, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, another ghost guy. That, that's that's really what we're it was. all ghost hosts on the show. Yeah, tonight, so like. <laughs> yeah. We, I, I did it for uh, two and a half years, I think, of uh, maybe eight tours per weekend, three hour tours. It was a van tour from oh, downtown. Just like Gilligan. Yeah, just like Gilligan. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was it was very difficult. It was a lot of fun. 
at times, and it was just a lot of uh, difficulty and a lot of other times. A very good experience, but it was not the way I wanted to spend the rest of my life. <laughs> now, when you did the tour, Scott, um, now that we have you, like, yeah. i got to capture you for a second. Did anybody ever see anything from the bus? Or like take a picture and they're like, oh my God, I can't believe that we got the Black Dahlia or whatever. Like on oh, man. tape. Oh, like evidence. Well, it's funny that you bring up the Black Dahlia because this is something that's going to come up on our show today. And it the only thing that really happened, I suppose, I mean, we had a lot of interesting moments that, that kind of unfolded. Um, one of my favorites I mean, was the, the hotel. Crazy people in Los Angeles? Yeah. Weird. <laughs> but the Hotel Cecil, that is a place that's got a huge history that I won't fully get into. But one of the aspects of its history is that a lot of people check in to commit suicide there. It was kind of in the Skid Row area. It was a cheaper room compared to a place like the Biltmore, which will be we'll be talking about momentarily. So you don't want to put a big financial investment down if you're not going to spend the entire night. And right. a lot of people committed suicide there. And I was telling the story on one tour, and little did I know that there were some people in the van that was staying at the hey. <laughs> yeah, at the Aww. at the Cecil Hotel, and I didn't know about it at the at the time, but they came up to me at, at the very end afterwards, and it was a couple from Canada, mom and daughter. The daughter was like 15 years old. She was getting to know and become comfortable with the fact that. She was discovering that she has some psychic abilities. And then they thought a ghost tour would be kind of an interesting way to lead her in. Maybe in hindsight, not the best way, because they're not the <laughs> kindest stories. <laughs> um, but I, I go into the story, and apparently the girl starts to cry in the van. I didn't know this. But Aww. when they checked in... Way to go, pal. Yeah. They get to the... They checked in. They go up to their room, open the door. The mom walks in. The girl won't cross the threshold. And she says to her mom, someone died in this room. Someone killed themselves in this room. It's like, And then, of course, me saying that oh, there's been a lot of suicides here uh, really struck a chord. So, I mean, yeah. so that's not, you know, a case of people seeing an orb. But that was like, talk about an incredible story to unfold on the tour. That was pretty neat. No, that's like having Lydia from Beetlejuice on your <laughs> <Yeah>. tour. <laughs> That is great. <laughs> That's pretty neat. But there was there was one tour that uh, we ended up. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of being stuck in traffic and having chit chat small talk. So one one paranormal phenomenon yeah. that for whatever reason caught people's attention was the concept of mechanical malfunctions or battery drains and all this kind of stuff that can go wrong during an investigation. That might be a tip or a hint that something paranormal is going on. And so we go to the, the Biltmore Hotel, which is the last place the Black Dahlia was seen alive. Mm-hmm. And I just pull over. I let people go into the lobby and look around. I, I took Wendy there not too long ago. It's one of the most beautiful yeah, places in all so of Los cool. Angeles. And the tour went in for a moment, came back out, got in the van, and it wouldn't start. No, oh, Nothing at all. Wow. And, and, of course, I've done this tour hundreds of times. I've never had this issue. I always rent the same van from the same place. <laughs> and um, and I was also, like, on a practical sense, I've got 15 people stranded in downtown Los Angeles now. I've got to find ways to get them all to their cars. I'm already not making money. Do I have to buy all these people cab rides? Oh, no. And because, it, like, it was so... I'm surprised you just get out of the bus and run. <laughs> like, later. <laughs> See you guys. These people Bye. on the tour could not 
have been more thrilled with the fact that the van couldn't start. Oh, man. They thought it was like the grand finale to the tour and ended up walking a couple of miles back to the parking lot, but like completely thrilled and excited about the experience. So oh, that was cool. pretty awesome. That is pretty cool. That yeah. Cool. <laughs> it easily could have gone south with a lot of bad Yelp reviews, yeah. <laughs> but no. <laughs> they had the right attitude. That's, uh, that's what matters, right? All right. Well, we're talking about Los Angeles. We're talking about Hollywood. We're talking about the Oscars today. And we were thinking about a show about the Oscars. It's happening on March 4th. And, you know, the Academy Awards have had, uh, of course, superstitions over the year. But what you find lately on all of the gossip rags is the Oscar love curse. The Oscar love curse? That's right. So, and this is the idea that an actress who wins Best Actress or Best Supporting Actress goes through a divorce or breakup shortly after winning. Oh. And people well, people have put time into this, like okay. studying it. Just throwing it out there, though. It's a huge event. It's a huge award. It's kind of like winning the, not like winning the lottery, but an event of mm-hmm. great magnitude, right? Right. So, I mean, I could see where that could introduce some turbulence into a relationship. Yeah. Sure. Hollywood is known for their usually stable relationships, too. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> right. Because everybody who lives it, like, nobody gets divorced real quick. Right, um, right. Or, well, but think about actors though. In the main, like they have to go for months out of the year, and they're on location. Yeah, separated from each other, and that's the whole reason. Yeah. Like David Duchovny moved the X Files to Los Angeles, yeah, from Vancouver, so he could spend more time with Taya Leone. And Taya, I don't know if you're single right now, but I will go to Los Angeles to spend more time with you as well. <laughs> <laughs> and I will, I will raise David Duchovny's children. Wow. It's fine with me. Okay, you heard it right here, everybody. <laughs> anyway, I just threw that out there. Um, no, but uh, all joking aside, the idea that these people spend months away from each other, you know that relationships can go up and go down yeah. and break up. Sure, you know, everybody's got, like Liz Taylor had eight marriages. That's a lot. She likes to shop yeah, around. She, yeah. It's expensive. It, like, plus like a construction worker, that Larry Krzyzewski guy that was like, like the last, like she finds some, like Larry... I'm just, just like, well, he seems like a nice guy. Well, maybe she got <laughs> sick of all the snobby actors. Well, there Richard, she, of course, she got married to Richard Burton tri- twice. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about some of the ladies that have had bad luck in love. Oh. And let's see about the Oscar love curse. Okay. okay. Among the first best actress winner to be cursed was Joan Crawford, who divorced her third husband in 1946, a year after winning an Oscar for Mildred Pierce. Which was a movie about divorce. Huh. That's method right there. Right. I was going to say. Now, now, Joan Crawford, to me, I always think about her because uh, I remember watching Mommy Dearest as yeah. a child <laughs> and being like terrified of Joan Crawford um, because that, that movie made her look like a monster. Oh. But also... Joan Crawford lived in a haunted house? Yeah, apparently. And, and, you know, Mommy Dearest, that's kind of where that came out. The book as well. The um, Her daughter, who uh, clearly Christina. have a great relationship with her mom, I would yeah. they venture were ado- to guess. It came out they were adopted eventually because Joan, she had several miscarriages. Okay. And uh, so, so you would think that, you know, a, a young girl that's growing up in, in maybe a traumatic household, you would have some... some Issues going on that uh, maybe you would start to invent a fantasy world to escape to. You would pan's labyrinth itself. <laughs> um, but so so the fact that she said in the middle of all of this chaos that that she maybe you know has memories of seeing a specter uh, and 
misty figures and whatnot and hearing sounds and crying sounds you don't know um she's going through this really tough experience maybe maybe she's invented some of it maybe her memory is really fuzzy um but then future owners of the house are start, start reporting the same thing and invite like a spiritual healer to come over and clean the house. They also hear what sounds like the sounds of children emanating from the walls. So, mm. so you could also factor in, hmm, could that have led to Joan being a little bit on edge <laughs> in her marriage and in her regular life too, growing up or living in a, uh, obviously a negatively affected home like that. Yeah. Which came first? Yeah, exactly. The ghosts of the bad relationship. Well, that's interesting, too, because that whole series came out last year of Joan Crawford versus Betty Davis, like a, like a Hollywood yeah, rivalry. Yeah, Betty versus like Joan. Feud. And they had my girlfriend, Catherine Zeta-Jones, playing Olivia de Havilland. Oh, wow. <laughs> but that whole idea, like, was, was Joan Crawford negatively affected by the place she lived? You know, was it hard on her? And did that make her divorce her husband? Did that make her hard on her child? The thing is, she's the first example of the Oscar love curse. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like a musical and, sting right there. <laughs> like yeah. a guitar. Wow. <laughs> the Oscar love curse. I'll fix it in post. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what's funny is that, so we take Joan Crawford and we can go back to the, you know, 1940s with her, but we can even just start with people in the 2000s and see All what right, happens. Let's see who we got. Okay. Think about Sandra Bullock. Right? The blind Sandy. side. Mm-hmm. Sandra Bullock. Everybody loves her from Speed and Miss Congeniality. And, and uh, what's the one where she loses her identity? The Net? The yeah. Net. <laughs> the Net. Yeah. Or a demo. I think about Demolition Man. Yes, absolutely. She's she so right there. <laughs> sweet and good in Demolition Man. Uh, Sylvester Stallone, you know. Um, the three shells, like, yeah. you know, she really is a great actress, but the fact that she marries this guy named Jesse James, dun, dun, dun. who's a reality TV star He's himself, a bad boy. Yeah. Sandy, what are you doing? And he can't stop having sex with anybody. Like, he's just like, I'm married to Sandra Bullock. That should be good enough. Nope. I'm going to have sex with everybody. So it's 10 days. After Sandra Bullock wins the Best Actress Award for The Blind Side, that she breaks up with Jesse James. Ten. Wow, that's fast. Yeah. Jesse James was already inside Janine Lindemuller. No. His ex, you know, she's a porn star and stuff like that. And and a former kindergarten teacher, actually. Uh, (laughs) It sounds like the Oscar wasn't necessarily the reason for that no but that, that's the curse though uh-huh. okay sure so that's what happened, it happened so after sandra bullock it, so. right away she wins this thing and her career is Boom. on the upswing like dude sandra bullock she's always been a good star and yeah. everybody loves her like no one can be like oh my sandra bullock hate her you <laughs> love sandra bullock. of course come on love potion number nine she's adorable <laughs> oh my god <laughs> i haven't even thought about that movie in 20 years <laughs> hillary swank all right, now Hilary Swank is some kind of actress. She's a double Oscar winner. Wow! Right, so you guys remember Boys Don't I Cry? Do, mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a that was a powerful movie. Actually, Boys Don't Cry yeah. it was really good. Now she follows it up with Million Dollar Baby. That's right. Yeah, and Million Dollar Baby. I was like, I'm like, oh, this movie is going to be it's going to be a tear. It was a great film, and she was brilliant in it. So what happened to Hill? Next year, after she wins for Million Dollar Baby. Uh, she collapsed for eight-year ma- marriage with Chad Lowe. Chad Lowe. He's a fellow actor. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Chad Lowe is the brother of Rob Lowe. Yeah. 
Uh, Who's a ghost hunter? <laughs> yep, Rob Lowe, oh, the low files. Right. Rob Lowe and his kids are ghost hunters. When she wins for Boys Don't Cry, she forgets to thank her husband. Uh-oh. Which, you know, she's probably crapping her pants. Like, she didn't know. Yeah, but that's a big one. <laughs> right, yeah. it is her husband. I mean... <laughs> 2005, though, she does... Thank you know she's like oh my god Chad thank you so much that wasn't good enough though within a year of her second Oscar Hillary he Swank is on the outs he said thank you Julia Roberts Julia yes Julia Roberts a very famous actress the pretty woman herself <laughs> yeah. she wins for Aaron Brockovich which was an okay movie like I I like that movie yeah that, I mean, that was that was one of the great Oscar moments too where where she stopped the orchestra. <laughs> say like no, no oh. I, I worked long enough for this you're gonna let me say my piece <laughs> yeah i'm julia what, freaking wow. roberts <laughs> yeah. right well julia roberts really i mean she was a celebrity for a yeah. long time by that point and a star forever yeah within three months of winning for aaron brockovich her husband benjamin bratt who was like a tv actor you know or whatever like uh he's on tv in the late 90s he used to call himself mr roberts that's cute. <laughs> She's like, you're done. So she leaves Benjamin Brown oh, within, she left him, though. within wasn't... three months. That doesn't sound like a curse. That sounds like... Well, years of a relationship. Okay, sure. Yeah. Gwyneth Paltrow. But before, uh, there's some, Gwen... some breaking news. Oh. Not quite, but Ooh, just a breaking what? news. Oh, boy. Uh, just Hercules, Hercules. Very <laughs> recently, January 4th of this year, uh, Julia oh. Roberts was shooting a movie uh, in a New York City cemetery and was pushed by an unseen force oh. on set. She had an experience. Oh, Julia Roberts yeah. Is so, uh, cool. the, the, maybe it's the curse of the Oscar. Just, maybe she'll win for this one, then we'll know it's true. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Ooh, but who was pushing her and why? Yeah, we don't have the, the article I'm reading is a, a UK a Metro um, newspaper. It does not say the name of the cemetery, but I'd be interested in finding that out. Yeah. It okay. was Benjamin Brandt pushing her psychically. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, you should never have left me. Yeah. All right. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. Okay, Gwen. No, we all think about Gwyneth Paltrow. She's um, mainly lately. She's in the uh, Marvel movies as Pepper Potts in the Iron Man and the Avengers. Oh, see, I always think of her in Mario Batali driving around on PBS. Oh, <laughs> sure. Driving around Europe and checking out all the good food and everything. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think about her naming her child Apple. <laughs> and then thinking about how kindergarten sucks for that child. Oh, oh anyway, that kid's rich. I'm not feeling bad for him. But when she won her Oscar for Shakespeare in Love. Oh, that's a good one. Her, oh, yeah, that is a, that is a great movie. Um, but her boyfriend at the time was um, known philanderer Ben Affleck. Uh-oh. Right. Within two months... She's done with Ben, and that's over, you know. And so he's on to a J Lo, and they become Benifer. <laughs> no, wait, no, Benifer was a Jennifer Garner. Who was he with J Lo? Like, who was? What was I the think, name? Was I, it? No, I think that was Benifer. That was Benifer. Yeah, I think so. Maybe they were B Lo. Yeah, B Lo. <laughs> say that. You know, I did like Jersey Girl. I thought that was a great movie, and I'll tell you why. George Carlin as the granddad. Oh, man, you can't go wrong with George no. Carlin. God rest his soul <laughs> as the grandfather. <laughs> But either way, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and Ben Affleck were doomed after she won the Oscar for Shakespeare in Love. Right. And I thought Ben Affleck was very charming in Shakespeare in Love. Tom Starpert, what a script. Oh, anyway. <laughs> uh, Halle Berry. 
wins her Oscar for Monsters Ball. Such a big deal because it was the first time, you know, African-American woman wins a Best Actress Oscar. And Halle Berry, her performance in Monsters Ball is so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. She called her husband Eric Benet. Milwaukee guy. hey And that's why Halle Berry was kept on coming to Milwaukee for like Christmas and stuff like that. Like oh, people would be right. like, oh, yeah, I saw it. Yeah. yeah, they'd be like, I saw Halle Berry at General Mitchell in Milwaukee. They're like, oh, yeah, sweet. Because she was married to Eric Benet, who's a Milwaukee music artist. Celebrity sightings and, in Milwaukee are rare. And prolific philanderer. Eric Benet liked to step. He's married to Halle Berry. Married to Halle Berry. And still he's got to step out. That's paranormal in itself. Yeah. <laughs> so Hallie has a little ghost story of her own. She um, apparently uh, brought home a dress uh, when she was making the movie and introducing Dorothy Dandridge. And Oh, that was a good one. Yeah. And uh, it was a historic film. And who knows if the dress that she brought home was historic, but the house started to claim activity. Uh, furniture would move on its own. And she knew... Mm. This wasn't going on before I brought this dress home, so oh. I'm giving this dress back, and and it apparently stopped the activity. She brought herself home a ghost. Yeah, a nice little attachment. Yeah, that dress, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, it was like a bonus, free with purchase. <laughs> <laughs> I always felt bad for Halle Berry because um, Eric Benet obviously did not know a good thing when he had it, and uh, but, but very talented R&B artist. But they were uh, divorced by uh, 2003, or. You know, so that was another one of the Oscar love curse. But the fact is, and here's the most interesting thing I found about the Oscar love curse when I was doing research. We talked about Hillary Swank. We talked about Halle Berry. We talked about Sandra Bullock. Kay Winslet divorced Sam Mendes soon after she won her Oscar. Oh. Reese Witherspoon divorced <laughs> Ryan Felipe wow. soon after she won her Oscar. So it wasn't just the stuff in the 1930s and, you know, with Joan Crawford. Like, this happened... But the real thing is, the Oscar love curse, Yes, Wait if for you it. do the research, is not the ladies, it's Wait. the men. What? What about all these articles I keep reading? Are you yeah, telling me it's so fake news? I guess you should stop reading <laughs> OK Magazine. Hey, it was in Forbes. Thinking, <laughs> it was in Forbes, wasn't it? Yeah. And, and, and this is where you can read these articles like, oh, the Oscar love curse is all about women. So we get two scientists... In the mid 2000s, and they do a whole thing like the, checking on the Oscar Love Curse, and the reason that they're psychologists, and they're doing it to see the difference in the power structures in relationships. So what happens? And we always joke about this with guys and stuff like that. But so let's say you're in a relationship, and your wife makes more money than you do. Okay. Are you cool with that? Can you handle it? Like that is a well, thing. If you're that, a real man. Obviously, you can handle it. But that is a thing to think about. I'm banking on it. it Sorry, <laughs> we're all hoping for it. I married a lawyer. You think I didn't think I didn't think about that stuff beforehand? But that's the whole point: is that power imbalance yeah. or the power imbalance of somebody making more money than another person? The does, intimidation or the insecurity? Yeah, insecurity. So let's talk about guys that have had Ooh. bad experiences after they got an Oscar. Let's talk about Cuba Gooding Jr. Now, we all remember... Oh, yeah. Jerry Maguire. Oh, yeah. man. Show, Show me, me the, the money. money. Right? And Cuba Gooding Jr. was brilliant in that movie. Tom Cruise was all right. Wow. Renee Zellweger was breathtaking. That's great. And we all love Jerry Maguire. Um, what's Cuba Gooding Jr. up to lately? Yeah, I haven't seen him around much. He did American Crime Story. He played O.J. Simpson. Mm -hmm. Did a really oh, good job fun. as O.J. Simpson. That's a big one. 
I mean, Cuba Gooding Jr. is a good actor. He also yeah. did Boat Trip, where a couple of guys <laughs> go on a vacation. They find out it's a gay boat trip, and the whole movie is based around the fact that they, like, two straight guys go on a gay boat trip. That's like Aww. a 1970s. That's like a. That is like a Three's Company episode come to life. I don't know how to uh, delicately say it, but I mean, this is how uh, you get your acting advice from Tropic Thunder, <laughs> from Robert Downey Jr. Uh, you never go full commitment to uh, mental uh, instability because he did radio. He did the movie right. Radio, and I think uh, pretty shortly after, and <laughs> he went full. <laughs> yeah, he went, and you guys know what we mean yeah. <laughs> if you've seen Tropic Thunder. Um, so, Cupid getting you. How about how about Nicolas Cage? What? Okay, leaving Las Vegas. I don't think that guy's like, human. I kind of love him. I watched him. Ghost Rider last week at the gym. I don't think he's human either. Yeah, so, paranormal is his wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah. Nicholas Cage, he's got like a, a pyramid waiting for him in New Orleans when he dies. Yeah, yeah, he does. All right. And he's got a house in Sedona, one of the most mystical places in all the land. Yeah. There we go. And he's a Coppola. Yeah. He's related to Francis Ford Coppola oh. and Talia Shire. Huh. Like he's from that dynasty of actors and directors of 1970s greatness. But Nicolas Cage wins for leaving Las Vegas, and like you can you can get Nicolas Cage in your movie <laughs> for like eighty bucks. No, it seems like he'll do anything. Like he doesn't even bother starring in regular movies anymore. Will act for food. Yeah. It's it's amazing because he is so brilliant in, in some things like Matchstick Men. I, I it's one of my oh, favorite man. movies, and uh, and then other most everything else. And I love uh, who Laura Flynn Boyle in uh, Red Rock West. There, there's a handful oh. of movies where he is literally amazing, and then everything else it's so bad. <laughs> yeah, there's no in the middle. Think about Con Air. And I mean, oh, I'm yeah. the kind of guy that saw Con Air in the theater, like, <laughs> opening day. And he's like, give me back that bunny. And you're like, somebody paid $80 million so Nicolas Cage could talk about a bunny. And John Malkovich could make jokes. And Steve Buscemi could play like a Cyrus weird the child virus, molester. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's memorable, Nicolas Cage. <laughs> but think about, like, the Oscar curse for guys like that. Um for females, I mean, Monique hasn't had anything since that Push movie. Hmm. Helen Hunt has never regained her mojo from... Oh, man. That, that about you. I know. I love Helen Hunt. And she was so good in As Good oh, As It Gets with gosh, Jack Nicholson. movie's great. Didn't she win for Twister, though? Kidding. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think that, uh, actually, Bill Paxton won for Twister in my alternate universe. Yeah. <laughs> F. Murray Abraham won Best Supporting Actor for Mozart, and like the next time you see him, he pops up in Last Action Hero. Underrated movie, Last Action Hero. That's an enjoyable film that people like to crap on. <laughs> Last Action Hero will get its own episode at some nice. other time, because I think that was at the wrong place at the wrong time, and we'll discuss that. So what you're saying is, if you have a great career as an actor or actress... You don't necessarily want to win the Oscar because that might be the end of all good things for you. Absolutely. Mira Sorvino wins for Bullets Over Broadway. And then, of course, now it's it's assumed that um, the Weinstein guy. Yeah, Harvey yeah. Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein. Like, the, it's Harvey Weinstein has obviously, like, he put her on the blacklist. Like, so Peter Jackson, he emails Peter Jackson, like, okay, you can have all these people in Lord of the Rings, but not Mira Sorvino. 
Yeah, it's amazing how not that you picked Mira Salida for Lord of the Rings. Yeah, and, and she comes from a, a dynasty too, you know, with, with Paul Sorvino. That's right. And who, he's still making movies, so I don't know. It, it, it's scary. But that's the thing. Like an Oscar is not guaranteed to have something, and and the fact is is that your roles might not be affected. But if you're a man who wins an Academy Award, you are more likely to leave your lover or divorce your wife than a woman. So I, I think that speaks to the male psyche. <laughs> it absolutely does. Yeah, the real, doesn't seem like a curse to me. That just seems like... The real science behind the Oscar love curse is that it's male science. and not female. Science. So why are all the articles saying it's a female thing? Because it works better. Because that's what gets more clicks. You know, if people were like, oh, yeah, well, Jack Nicholson finally leaves Angelica Houston after he wins an Academy Award. They're like, well, of course, it's Jack Nicholson. He's been sleeping his way through Hollywood since 1972. Um, it, it's the fact. So let's get to the science here. I'll read from the abstract on the article about the Oscar love curse. Okay. First. Ascending the status hierarchy by winning an Oscar can be disruptive because it provides access to more attractive resources and opportunities, including attractive spousal alternatives, all important determinant of divorce. So spousal alternatives. <laughs> that's a, that's, a, that's a way to say mistress. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. As noted by a Hollywood marriage counselor, professional success and domestic disruption are connected. Quote, when you win an award like that, you get more offers than you could possibly deal with. It's oh hard God. not to get caught up in it and keep yourself grounded in a relationship. Although both male and female actors are likely to get more attractive spousal alternatives following Oscar wins, male actors tend to respond differently to the new opportunities in a way that disrupts their personal lives. Oh, those, those poor guys. They had so many alternative spousal opportunities. It's right. just so hard <laughs> staying married. Spousal so opportunities. The fact that these guys win an Oscar and they're like, chicks like me now. I mean, think Cuba Gooding Jr. is like, oh, yeah. Show like, me the money. Show me the booty. Like, he's <laughs> right. It's interesting because, you know, obviously all of these uh, guys, we're, we're talking about the males here. All these guys were yeah. already movie stars. You know, they had already made this movie before the nomination came out. They were already in that position. And so, I mean, I think it is kind of an interesting psychological study because maybe there is some level of a tiny bit of humility within themselves for a while. And then you get that golden statue in your hand, and people are probably already throwing themselves at you. And but you've got some humility to it that I know, maybe they're not. I'll, you know, right. I'll, and all of a sudden, you have Paltrow's throwing himself at you, and you're like, "Oh my god, I've upgraded." But but then you get that statuette in your hand, and you're like, "No, I've earned everything." Yeah, it's confirmation. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm above and the law. I'm superhuman. Yeah. <laughs> I can do anybody. And I think and will. that's the, that's. That's the problem. Okay, so we get reported that males, more than females, emphasize regrets of an action over action within romantic relationships and that the difference is substantially larger for sexual activity. Quote, men are vastly more likely than women to regret not trying harder to have sex or to regret missing an opportunity for sex, unquote. Indeed, research on sexual infidelity among married couples shows that males tend to engage in more extramarital sex than females. Men cheat more 
and sexual infidelity is among the most common and strongest determinants of divorce. No. (laughs) The casual linkage between Oscar-induced status disruption and divorce may, in other words, be particular... Oscar-induced status disruption. I love these terms. (laughs) I know. It may be more strong for male actors than female actors. And that's the thing. So the Oscar love curse that we're talking about is completely more about men than about women. Because men win the Oscar. But it's also not really a curse. It's basically just, you know, a right. side effect of getting really famous and successful. And, and validated. Right. So of the 266 married women who have been nominated for the Best Actress Award from the beginning of the modern Oscars in 1938 to the present, 159 of them have got divorced. 60% of the victors have gotten divorced. <laughs> well, 50% of people get divorced, yeah. right? 60% of Hollywood people? Is that a surprise, no. my friends? Not at all. Because of what you were talking about earlier, with just it's... It's impossible. Like, even if you're shooting a movie in town, you're, you're shooting 12 to 18 hours a day. You don't even have a weekend because you're sleeping to get back on track and you, you don't have a, a life. So that's the thing. Are we surprised that an extra 10% of people are, get divorced? So I am right now, I'm calling it, we are disproving the Oscar love curse <laughs> and saying that men are pigs. <laughs> and all those articles you see... Just talking are kind of sexist. Women's thing are kind of sexist. <laughs> totally. And they're not reporting the correct statistical information either. So, Well, they're playing on the idea that women are getting heartbroken. Right. Or even the, the women of st- the status mm-hmm. is that like once they get a certain kind of status that maybe men don't want to be with them. Yeah, it's going to burn them. And it's not true. It's men that leave women... After they win the Oscars. So, guys, whoever wins an Oscar this year, an Academy Award, whoever it goes to, at least wait a year before you divorce your wife <laughs> and upgrade. Don't become a statistic. <laughs> right. Do not become the next Jack Nicholson. So, I mean, I think we... Uh, well, that was fun debunking of, of what has been rumored to be a curse. Right. Absolutely. You know, the only, the only uh, thing I, I can think of that might not be sexist this year is that the fish from The Shape of Water, like, if Guillermo del Toro wins, you know, is he going to leave somebody or is he just like, you know what, I'm weird enough and I'll be in my own situation. And so that's the only thing I think... As long as Shape of Water wins, uh, it's not really a best male actor. It's more like a best fishy actor. <laughs> so I guess we know which one you're rooting for. <laughs> I'm rooting for Doug Jones, um, our guy from Hellboy, the, right. the real skinny guy. I, I, I don't often root for real skinny guys because I hate them. <laughs> um, as a guy that tends to fat. But um, <laughs> we live in Wisconsin. It's okay. I know. I understand. You're the skinny guy. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> I am the skinny guy in Wisconsin, which is the gross part. <laughs> um, but we'll see what happens at this year's. So before we go, who's everybody rooting for? I plead the fifth. <laughs> I haven't seen enough movies to guess. Okay, that's all right. Sorry, Scott. Who are you rooting for for the Oscar? Well, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the Silence of the Lambs. I think that was such a great moment because it was a that's a horror film 
you know that that one you know best best uh film best picture uh best director all that um and it's so exciting that right now we have a couple of genre films that are in the running including shape of water uh get out you know of course i love gilmore del toro um I really did like Three Billboards, though. Sam Rockwell is my favorite actor. He's uh, great, isn't he? Great. Just look at you know Hitchhiker's Guide is where I met him. Moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just everything he's in is so great, and of course Francis McDormand is wonderful. Even as the like the ensign in Galaxy Quest, Sam Rockwell shines. <laughs> yes. You know, like he is. He's just one of those actors that you always want to see be successful. So yeah, I'm rooting for him too. There we go. So whoever wins the Academy Awards in 2018, good luck to you guys. Well, good luck to your relationships. (laughs) And so anyway, uh, thank you for joining us for this episode. So, Scott, if people want to learn more about you, where can they go get you? What'syourghoststory.com is my website where I cover all the fun, wacky places I go uh, coast to coast. And uh, you can do that on uh, Twitter and Instagram as well. Fantastic. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Of course. Thank always you, fun to be hanging with you guys. And for the Sunspot song this week, this one is about relationships. And just like we're talking about the Oscar love curse, sometimes things don't go how you hoped for. This song is called Eat Out My Heart.
for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. Hey! Hey! Hello, music lovers. Hello. We want to let you know that we have a Patreon community that anybody who's interested in supporting the See You on the Other Side podcast, it's a place you can go. You can ask questions. You can suggest topics. You can have a discussion with us in a hangout we have every month. Yeah. And you know what? You can join for as little as just a few bucks a month. It's like a very few, affordable. Like, right. A couple of bucks a month. Really, it's less than the price of a cup of coffee. Oh. If you were thinking of sponsoring like a child. Oh, no. Oh, no. You know, if you were thinking about going into one of those things and sponsoring a kid on like the like Christian children's, you're wasting your money. With us, oh. like your money goes to people who will oh. use it. Anyway, you can find that at othersidepodcast.com slash donate. And we cannot forget to thank our Patreon, Dr. Ned. Yes, now, thank you, Ned. Dr. Ned is there every single month at the level we get a shout out in every single show and we would like to shout you out in every single show and you could do that at othersidepodcast.com slash donate thank you guys enjoy the academy awards and have an awesome week see i keep thinking of her on that pbs show with um the chef, uh, what's his name, Mario? Some, the famous chef. Hang on, time out. <laughs> Mario, I'm a Mario. Uh, I'm a gonna win. <laughs> it's a me. <laughs> it's a me, a Mario. Uh, here's a Gwyneth one. Gwyneth Paltrow found a guy who talks to ghosts about your thyroid problems. <laughs>